0: Um, ending a series for me, and that's where we're doing today. If you have uh, a bulletin, hopefully you received a bulletin on the way in, there's always an insert in there. And that will kind of be my roadmap for any stuff that we do uh, along the way. Um, <clears throat> ending a series is, is always kind of a fun time for me. I, I take a little bit of an inventory for my last sermon in a series to see, Uh, boy, I really hope that I accomplished something. Uh, Years ago, when I was in seminary, someone asked one of the professors how many points should a a sermon have, and he said at least one, so I hope that uh, we've at least learned one point over the the course of this series, Um, and that is specifically what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. When we set out on on the series, uh, what, about five weeks ago? Five weeks uh, from today, um, I wanted to define, I wanted to defend, I wanted to deliver, and I wanted to disciple the gospel. Those four D's. I wanted to define, I wanted to defend, I wanted to deliver, share that gospel with you And then begin to disciple because discipling the gospel is really a lifelong process. It's it's us absorbing the gospel and being saturated by the good news of Jesus Christ. And so that isn't something that is going to be able to be finished in any sermon series. That's going to be a lifelong pursuit with your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I hope I hope that we've done those things. I I believe that we've clarified at least some, some questions that are out there. We've talked about how there's so many different teachings that are out there today about what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't, and hopefully we've sifted through some of that muck and mire to be able to get back to the text as to how the gospel is defined clearly from the Bible. Um, so, just to remind you, just to take us back for a second, what is the gospel? Hopefully, you remember by now what the gospel is. The gospel is very simply the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Everything that we're going to talk about today and wrapping these things up comes back to what the gospel is. Uh, if you're going to share the gospel with somebody, and really that's what we're going to talk about today, how can you personally go and share the gospel with what what I call your friends, F-R-A-N-S, that's your friends, relatives, associates, and neighbor. Basically, anybody that you impact in your world, how can you share the gospel with them? First, you have to know what it is that you're going to share. You are going to share information. You're going to talk to them about the person in the work of Jesus Christ. That is the essence of the gospel. You cannot share the gospel by talking about the weather. You cannot share the gospel by talking about how much you like or dislike your neighbor. You have to use words to clearly share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you have to use words that talk about who Jesus was, who Jesus is, who Jesus is always going to be, what Jesus' work was, what Jesus' work is, and what Jesus' work always will be. You see, Jesus is still doing work today, and that is important. That's crucial for us to know. In fact, we, we experience Jesus' work all the time. When we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, He's interceding on our behalf because He's now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And so when we sin, we have an advocate. According to Hebrews, we have a high priest. That's, by the way, why we don't need priests anymore. The temple curtain was torn, and now we have direct access to God the Father through our high priest, Jesus Christ. You can't add to the gospel. you can't take away from the gospel and still have the gospel. In fact, according to Romans chapter one, verse 16, which we talked about very early in the series, the unadulterated, the unprostituted gospel, it's the power of God unto salvation. If you want to tap in to the power of God, preach the gospel. Focus on the gospel because the gospel is the power of God that delivers salvation to you and I. And that's why we even talked about at the beginning of the series why I really do believe that we're in a little bit of a crisis in the American church because we have so many church individuals that are unable to articulate clearly what the gospel is. The gospel is what saves us, and you would think that the very nature and the very thing that saves us that we'd be able to hold and cherish and that, that we would ponder on it all the time, and yet I, I find personally that so many individuals um, that are, go to church and maybe self-identify themselves as a Christian, they really don't know the gospel. It breaks my heart. It concerns me. It greatly concerns me. And in defining and defending the gospel, remember we've clearly said what it is, and in saying what something is, you also define what it is not. The gospel is not that God wants you to have a good life. The the gospel is not that God wants the best for you. The gospel is, is not that, that God wants you to be healthy, that God wants you to be wealthy, that God wants you to have the best job that's available out there in your market. That's not the gospel. In fact, what we call that is we, we call that the prosperity gospel. That's a different gospel. And according to what the Apostle Paul writes, he says, if anyone else, even an angel of heaven, which it wouldn't happen, but even if an angel of heaven came to you and proclaimed another gospel, not that there is any other gospel, let him be, and the word that's used in the Greek is an anathema, let him be cursed. You see, that's how how important knowing this gospel and teaching the right biblical gospel is. You see, there's people who are out there teaching a false gospel and many, many hundreds and thousands and maybe even millions of people buying into that false gospel. And according to what the Bible says is that people who teach that and people who buy into that are, according to the Scriptures, cursed. No wonder there's so much confusion in Christendom today. We need to know what we believe and believe what we know. In receiving of this holy and sacred message, you have been entrusted then with a sacred mission. Just by the very fact, by, by the reality that you have heard, and that the gospel has been delivered to you, you are now commissioned on a sacred journey according to the scriptures, and I want to take you to that commission today, Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have your Bible with you, can I invite you to open it with me to Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. We're going to be in chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. We're going to go all the way to chapter 6, verse 1, which honestly isn't very far. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, beginning... In verse 16 and going to chapter 6, verse 1, I have it for you up on the screen in case you don't have your Bible with you this morning. It's out of the English Standard Version, so if you're kind of comparing versions, and this looks a little different, that way you know which version we have up on the screen. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, as we have been teaching, the Apostle Paul confirms for us that he is a new creation. Jesus used these words. He says, you must be born again. You must have a new life, is how he taught to Nicodemus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In all of this, verse 18 is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to him and gave us the ministry. Do you see this here? The ministry of reconciliation. You might want to underline that, circle that, do something with that in your own Bible, highlight it, because that is the ministry by very nature as recipients of the gospel. You have been co- commissioned to be about the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Jesus Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. There it is again. So, he's entrusted us with this re- message. So, not only are we recipients of the ministry of reconciliation, not only are we recipients of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but then we are now ambassadors of that same reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. First off, make sure that you yourself are right with Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That is to say, Jesus was not an experience of sin until the cross so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You, you, You see, through the sacrifice, that sacrificial substitutionary atonement death of Jesus Christ on on the cross, you and I have now been adopted in, and we have been made righteous. We have been made the righteousness of God through the power of Jesus Christ. Chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive The grace of God, what's that word? In vain. In in, in other words, as you have received this gospel, don't just say, oh, thank you so much for that message, and then not do anything with it. Because that is the sacred commission, that is the sacred charge that you and I have been entrusted with. As recipients of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I have now become ambassadors of that same gospel. God is changing the world through Christians. That God has chosen his church to make his appeal of salvation to the whole world. God hasn't used animals, God hasn't used trees. Now, according to Romans chapter 1, God has revealed himself to the whole world through his created order, through this general revelation. But God is making a specific appeal to the world through his church. That's why we do this thing that we call evangelism. That's why we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our friends, our relatives, our associates, and our neighbors. Because they are destined to hell without hearing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like you and I once were destined to hell until we trusted the gospel. As we've learned, the response, the proper response to the gospel is to believe. And and we've even talked specifically what this word believe means. It just doesn't mean to intellectually ascend. Yeah, yeah, I acknowledge that there's a God. Because according to James chapter 2, even the demons believe, even the demons know who Jesus is. And yet, do you know what the scriptures say? They tremble. You see, there's people who will believe in God, but yet at the end of the age, when they stand before Christ, they're going to be condemned to hell. Why? Because they haven't trusted Christ. They haven't trusted in the work of Jesus Christ. That's why the gospel is the person in the work of Jesus. That's why we need to tell people that you and I are sinful. We've been born into the sin. We've all violated the law of God. It, it, there's nothing that we can do to, to overcome that. And so we need somebody to to change us and to make us righteous, to acquit us. And the only one who's able to acquit us is Jesus Christ. You see, that's the message that we're entrusted to share with others. And God has given it to you and I, the church of Jesus Christ, to share with others. That's why we're going to go to Haiti next year. That's why we need to tell others about Jesus. That's why we say, you know what, invite people to church so that they too can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, but don't leave it up to the pastor to talk about the gospel. You have to tell them the gospel. Because quite honestly, you have way more influence over their lives than I do. Because they know you, they trust you. And and so the truth is, let me just reiterate this, God has chosen to use his holy people to be the agent by which the gospel is carried and propagated. Who's his holy people? That's you and I. That's the saints of Christ. Oftentimes I hear people saying, you know what, I don't feel like a saint. Well, are you acting like one? You see, we, we grow into this sainthood. You know, we are sinners that are saved by grace that are changed to become saints. In in what God calls His holy people in the Scriptures, do you know what the word He uses is? Saints, or His elect. And oftentimes, the people of God surely don't act like the people of God. That's why I'm always afraid to put one of those Christian bumper stickers on the back of my vehicles, because I'm afraid that I'm going to do something stupid while I'm driving down the road. I'll be like, well, there goes another jerk Christian. Isn't it, isn't it, isn't it scary? Isn't it wonderful to think that God has entrusted you to share His love with someone else? It's scary because it's like, what a weight. What a, what a responsibility, but what a privilege. What a high and holy calling you and I have been called to be protectors and defenders of the sacred message, and it's our job to let the whole world know. And the reality of it is, is that when God does something significant and wonderful in your life, there is something that He has changed in you, according to what we've read, because we're a new creation. That He plants a desire inside of real, genuine Christians to want to tell others. In fact, that's one of the great confirmations that you are indeed saved. If you care to tell others about the love of God. If you you don't care to tell others about the love of God, I would question, is the love of God really in you? Have, Have you ever noticed somebody who's really in love? We just did a wedding the other day. It was evident that they were in love. People knew it. They sensed it. They could just see it. When when we love God, we obey him because remember Jesus said that if you love me, you will. Do you remember what he said in the scriptures in John chapter 15? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. You'll obey my teachings. You see, when God recreates us, when Jesus recreates us and makes us new, which is all done by his power, there's a new nature inside of you that you can't manufacture or synthesize out of your own human will. And that nature, that new nature, desires to obey God. In fact, when you you do sin, you mourn over that sin. Do you remember teaching on the Beatitudes? We mourn over that sin because that's not our nature. Yeah, we, we, we messed up. That's the flesh that we're always going to continue to battle while we're here in the bodies. But our core desire because of our new nature is to love God, to obey Him, and to honor Him. So God is making His appeal to the world to believe and to repent through His saints. That's the church. The church, we've talked about it before, it's not the building you are the church who gathers at this building that we call Praise Point. You are only a slice of the church, because all around the world on Sunday, there are people who gather together, and even other days of the week, that they are the church of Jesus Christ. You see, when we, when we get to heaven, we're going to share heaven with a lot of people that aren't like us, red, yellow, black, and white, right? There's going to be even people in heaven that you probably don't like here on earth. I find it amazing that God's appeal has been entrusted to us, the church, just a feeble group, right, in reality. We're nothing special. I i, I mean, we could look to our, our good things that we've done, but According to what we read in Isaiah, even our best of works is filthy rags before God. Even the best of days that we have, the most honorable of days that we have, still isn't good enough. You you see, that's what makes this salvation so extravagant. It's all done by the work of God for the glory of God, and He chooses us. In fact, in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, God's holy people, do you, know, do you know the word that is oftentimes used? His elect. The people that He chooses because He loves us. The church is specifically the called out people. There's a, a, a Greek word that is translated in our New Testament to the church. It's where we even have the word church. It's, it's called ecclesia. Ekklesia just means the gathered-out people of God or the called-out people of God, God's elect. Earlier in this series, we talked about a different Greek word for the gospel, and that word was euanglion. Euanglion is where we get the, our English word gospel, and it basically means good news, And from that same root Greek word, we get another English word, and that's the word evangelism. Evangelism is the carrying or the propagating or the telling of the good news, the euanglion. Evangelism in the context of the church is simply telling others the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's the gospel of Jesus Christ? The person and the work of Jesus. So all of this is being built together so that you and I can share the gospel with others. The Apostle Paul, or the Apostle Peter, rather, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, wrote this, "'But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect.'" The hope that is within you. What is that hope that is within you that the Apostle Peter talks about? The Apostle Paul talks about it in other places. And the Apostle John talks about the hope that is within you. What is the hope that's within you? The gospel. That's the only hope that we have. <laughs> that, that's the only hope that we have at all. Peter, you know what he's telling the reader? He's saying, listen. There's going to be people, when you're changed by Jesus Christ, there's going to be people who are going to ask you, why do you do what you do? I mean, just think it. From the world's standpoint, we as Christians do some pretty weird things. We come and gather together at a place on Sunday, and we're not just a good group of people. We don't get together to be philanthropic. We don't get together to be a lion's club. We don't get together to be a country club. We get together to worship the holy God of creation. To strengthen each other, to encourage one another. And think of this. Christians give away their money. That's just goofy. And if you follow the scriptures, you tithe. You give a 10% of your income. Now, wait a second. Now, that's, that's not goofy. That's Mishiganae, right? That's crazy. We we do some other things that are awfully crazy because not only do we give of our time and we give of our money, but then, you know, to people that we don't like, hopefully we're being nice to them. Why do we do that? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ compels us. The love of God that is rooted within us compels us to do that. That's the motivation. That's the drive behind it. Sharing the gospel, the work of evangelism, it's the privilege, it's the responsibility, it's the calling of every Christian, not just the pastor or missionaries or people on staff. I think sometimes we want to leave it up to them because they're the hired gun. And if my friend could only talk to the pastor, he'd be all straightened out. I don't have any of those magical abilities. It's only through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that people are changed. Yet, yet what I discover is that Christians everywhere are paralyzed from sharing the gospel because of fear. And do you know, according to the scriptures, you and I have not been created with a spirit of fear when we're created new, but we're created or recreated with a spirit of power. here's here's the things that go through minds and uh, goes through my mind even as a pastor at times when I still share the gospel. What if they ask something of me that I don't know the answer to? Sooner or later it's going to happen. It's okay. You know why? You don't have to know everything. None of us do. You see, the gospel is so simple, you don't need to know the answers to How many angels can fit on the head of a pin? Do you know that that was actually a theological question at one time in Christian history? Uh, Another fear. What if they laugh at me? What if they think that the thing that I'm telling them is just crazy? What if they don't like me, right? There's another driving fear. I want my natural human compulsion, I want people to like me. But there are times, because of the cause of Christ, that I am compelled to say things that are controversial. Do you know this? Jesus was the most loving person, the most compassionate person, the most grace-filled person to ever exist. Can we agree on that statement? Because he was God incarnate. If you read the New Testament, everywhere he went, he stirred up problems. (laughs) Think about that. That's why people were always mad at him. You know why? Because in the midst of loving everybody, in the midst of being gentle to everybody, he spoke the truth. And sometimes the truth, quite honestly, it's difficult to hear, isn't it? And there's times that I've heard the truth and it hurts. I had a, a very loving guy in my congregation years and years ago um, the, the style of the message that I was doing, I knew it just didn't fit me, but it, he came up to me and he says, I just got to tell you, you just don't do very good when you're doing series like that. Just stick to teaching right from the word and you'll be good. I thought, that was hard to hear. But it was wonderful and it was one of those lessons that God gave me because there was one of those people inside of the church who said, you know what, stick to the word a little bit more than what you're doing you're going to be all fine. That was a good lesson that I needed to hear. What if they think I'm a fanatic? What if they think I'm one of those people? Or a holy roller? Or, oh, you're just one of those goody two-shoes. You see, those are the fears that paralyze Christians from sharing the gospel. I mean, here's the thing: what ends up happening is somehow we've bought into the lies of Satan that if we don't tell them about the gospel, then they'll like us. That if we don't tell them about the gospel, that if we maybe even try to cushion the gospel, try to soften that gospel, that maybe maybe they'll respond better. And ends up, what's happening is in softening the gospel, we water down the gospel and we change the message and we prostitute the message and then no real fruit can happen because it's not the real McCoy. It's not the real thing. And so what we're left to do then is we're left to tell the hard biblical truths in gentleness and respect and love as best as we know how and allow God to pick up the chips wherever they may fall. Because what's happening is all across America, all across the globe, people are loving their friends right into hell. Right? Out of this this guise of of love, out of this guise of oh, I don't want to offend. What we end up doing is we love people right into hell because we had the opportunity to share the gospel with them and then we didn't. What if? What if? What if? What if? What if? What if? And the mind just races and breeds fear. Yet not, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but one of power and of love and of self-control. Second Timothy one seven. What happens is the believer forgets their position before God, and so they neglect their duty as soldiers of the cross. In fact, that's one of the things that we're going to talk about in our next series. Our next series is all about understanding your positionality, understanding your great salvation. Because what has happened is Christians are not living to the fullness and the experience of their salvation because they don't know the great position that they've been placed in. And so they're not embracing the fullness of their salvation. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in First uh, Corinthians chapter two verses one through five. And I, when I came to you brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Do you hear that? The Apostle Paul was a brilliant man. You you can't avoid this. If you look at the Scriptures, if you look at his history, if you look at where he was going, the Apostle Paul was going to be the next guy. That was before Jesus Christ got a hold of him on the Damascus Road. he He was brilliant. And yet here you have Paul saying, listen, I'm not talking about fancy words. I'm not talking about having the right words. I'm not talking about having the right mantra. I'm talking about all that I need to tell people is very simply Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In other words, I just need to tell people the gospel. And I was with you in weakness and fear. The Apostle Paul is even admitting that at times he was afraid to proclaim the gospel and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. By the way, that reflects Romans chapter 1, verse 16, because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You want to see the power of God work? Tell people the gospel. Because sooner or later, as you're sowing that seed, it's going to fall on good soil. And you're going to see God do something magnificent, And God is going to demonstrate his glory as he changes people around you so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Isn't that beautiful? When you tell somebody the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't be concerned about your words. You, You might say, well, I'm not a public speaker. You don't have to be a public speaker. Do you know the gospel? Yes, hopefully you know the gospel. Tell somebody about it. Use your own words. Use your own relationship. I'm I'm at times amazed at how people struggle in prayer. You know what prayer is? Prayer is just talking to God. Can you have a conversation with your friends and your family? Of course you can. Can you have a conversation with your King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one who created you, the one who called you out of darkness, the one who called you out of damnation? Of course you can. And you can tell others about that very good news. Use your own words, just like what the Apostle Paul says. Listen, we don't need fancy stuff. We don't need to use churchy words. We just need to tell them the simple message, the gospel. When you share the gospel, don't feel that you have to be brilliant. Don't feel that you have to use the same words. I wonder what the pastor's words would be. You don't have to use what you think I would say. But you should share it because it's the core of what has changed you, if it indeed has changed you. You're sharing your own hope. As Peter wrote, be prepared to to share. Be prepared to tell people why you have hope that is within you. You're just telling people why you have hope. We don't have any hope other than the gospel. Let me just throw these things out to you, if the Bible is true, and it is, and there is a just, awesome Creator God, and there is, and humanity rebelled against God, and we did, and if there was no gospel message, follow me in my logic. If there was no gospel message, you and I are to be pitied above all men. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said? We're crazy people. We are dead man-walking. If there is no gospel, we'll suffer in hell if there's no gospel. Isn't it good news then that there is a gospel? Isn't there good news that Jesus did come to save us from hell and to draw glory to God? The only hope that we have is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's where we need to bring this full circle. You and I have been charged to share that gospel, to share that good news. Let me finish by sharing just a couple more thoughts. What to expect when you tell somebody about the gospel? Expect people to sometimes not want to listen. Expect people to maybe not like you. Expect people to think that you're crazy because let's face it, the gospel, doesn't it sound like a fairy tale story? There's this amazing creator God, and he gave us a holy, moral, just law, and we violated that law, and as a result of that, all of humanity is now inheriting this sinful property that none of us can avoid, and so we need somebody to intervene, and that's where Jesus Christ comes onto the scene. Jesus came down. He's the God incarnate, God in the flesh, and he took care of our sin problem because he, he died on the cross in our place, which we rightly and justly deserved, so that we could have an opportunity to be reunited with god and that's the opportunity and so the response that's called for is for you to trust in that once and done sacrifice of jesus christ believe on the name of the lord jesus repent turn away from your sins and then obey him doesn't that sound like something that you would flip on the tv and would maybe come from hollywood Maybe that's one of the things that makes it so hard to believe. Because in reality, the gospel is hard to believe. The gospel is hard to believe. You know, I, I'm convinced that America's got to be the, the toughest place to do evangelism on our globe right now. It's because it's fallow ground. Now, I don't know much about fallow ground when it comes to farming, but I think... Fallow ground is pretty much ground that just doesn't seem to be workable and is very hard to grow crops on. If you consider the gospel from a worldly viewpoint, the story is, is weird. It sounds something like it comes off of the sci-fi channel. That, that's why when people genuinely believe the gospel genuinely believe, they hear it, and and there's an illumination, and the illumination comes from the supernatural working of God in their mind and in their heart, that God changes their whole being. By the way, when we read about the word, uh, when we read about the heart in the Bible, in in our culture, we talk about the heart, and we talk about it as the source of feeling. Uh, That's not how it works in the Bible. In the Bible, when it talks about the emotion and the feeling, it talks about in the bowels. In fact, um, have you ever had one of the pits in your stomach when something's going on or stress is in your life and you get an ulcer or your stomach is upset? That's the same thing. That's what's happening in the Old Testament and New Testament. Jews, even today, they talk about feeling something in their bowels or feeling something in their stomach. That's what Jews talk about when they talk about feeling because of that pit feeling. Now, in in the Greek, when they use this word kardios, that's where we get our word for heart, right? Cardiac, right? If you do any stuff with your medical technology or in medicine, you're very aware of that. For them, it was the essence of your whole being that begins with your mind. That's why the gospel must begin with the mind. We must tell people, we must appeal to their mind and God then will open up their heart for their whole being to understand. This stuff of good triumphing over evil, the good being rewarded for, for suffering patiently, the wicked being punishment, reaping what they sow, all that kind of stuff sounds fin- fantastical to try to, to understand. And the trend in evangelicalism, the sharing of the gospel, at least today in America, the trend is headed towards what I would call easy believism. We want to try to soften the gospel, water down the gospel, and make it as easy as possible for people to understand. And the moment that they acknowledge that maybe there is a God, we say, oh, see, you you believe in Jesus? But in the reality... They have to take it beyond just acknowledging that there's a God, beyond intellectually acknowledging that Jesus maybe was who he said he was, and a supernatural change and transformation, a new creation, as the Scripture says. Remember in the Scriptures that no one comes to Christ unless the Father draws them. John, er, Jesus said in John six forty four, no one can come to to me, Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up on the last day. In other words, he'll be saved. But the Father, God the Father, is the one who has the supernatural illumination in that supernatural work inside of somebody, and it's a response then to the gospel, the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ. You and I can't manufacture that. You and I can't make someone believe Listen, our job in evangelism is not to convert someone just to be the messenger of the good news. Our job is not to convert anyone. You see, that is the work of God and God alone. You and I don't have that power. I don't have the power to raise anybody from the dead, but I know one who does. Once we deliver the good news, it's, it's our job then to call people to believe, to call people to trust in Jesus, and then to repent. That's what we do in the sharing of the gospel. We tell somebody the good news of, of who Jesus is and his work, and then we say, listen, the proper response that God is looking for is a person to believe and to trust in him, and then to repent. And then, you know what we do? We leave it there. Because if God's going to do something, God's going to do something. If not, he doesn't. At least not right at that moment. But the trend in modern evangelicalism from the 1960s and forward has been this. As we share the gospel, and then this is what we do. We we say, now pray after me. And what that has done is, is we as the church have produced false converts, People who say, oh, I prayed a prayer one time ago, but I'm living like hell for the rest of my life. And it's caused all kinds of confusion among Christians. Well, they prayed a prayer once, and I don't understand why they're acting that way. You see, that's why I said last week that salvation just isn't an event. It's an experience. One of the greatest evidences that you're truly saved is that you continually, for your whole life, pursue God. Because we are promised in the scriptures that God will bring about to completion the good work which he began in you, right? He's not going to forget about you. He's not going to say, whoops, uh, sorry, I was busy over here. Uh, I guess I better get back to work on you. God's continually working in the life of a real, genuine Christian. The power of God is salvation through through the gospel. Listen, nobody has ever been saved because of Brad Kittle. Nobody has ever been saved because of Brad Kittle. Did I die on a cross? Did I have that power? No, I had sin nature. No one's ever been saved because of you either. If anybody's ever been saved, it's because of the supernatural work of God in their life. Now listen, I've had the privilege to be there when we present the gospel and then God does something and then I get a chance just to be along for the ride and say, man, this is glorious, this is great. I get to be a witness to what God is doing, but that wasn't my doing. You see, years ago, I used to carry this burden with me. I used to carry the burden that if I presented the gospel and nobody responded, or if I asked for people to raise their hands, nobody raised their hands, or if I asked for people to come talk to me about you know, their, their questions and nobody came. T- I had this searing thing going on in my head and on my heart that, man, I must not been good enough. I must have not, done the, I must have not used the right words. I must have not, uh, this must not have been the right moment. Oh, boy, I, I missed opportunities. It drove me nuts. And it will drive you nuts, too, because then you begin to think that someone's salvation is contingent upon you. No one's salvation is contingent upon you. It's contingent upon God. This will will alleviate, by the way, when you believe in the biblical truths of those realities, this will alleviate all kinds of stress in your heart and your mind. No one will ever come to faith because of me or because of you directly. We might have a chance to be a part and witness what God does. We might get a chance to sow seeds. That's why the Apostle Paul talked about people were bragging about Paul and Apollos in the Corinthian letters, and Paul says, Listen, nobody has ever come to Christ because of me. Nobody's come to Christ because of Apollos. Stop thinking that way. It's all about the work of God. God is the one who provides the increase. Some have a chance to plant, some have a chance to water, but it's God who provides the increase. In the same way, when you share the gospel, don't compromise the message to make it easier to believe in your hopes that somebody will respond to the gospel. Share the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. Don't prostitute it. Don't compromise it. Don't change it. Don't manipulate it. Don't think, oh, you know what? If I don't share this part of the gospel, they're going to respond better because I'm seeking for them to respond. It's not about you in the first place. Whether or not anyone believes and repents is not contingent upon your craftiness or your words or anything of that sort. That's why the Apostle Paul said that all these things, he didn't come with lofty words or human wisdom. He just wanted to proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Share the gospel. The word of God must be declared. Declared. The the word of God has been entrusted to you. The gospel has been entrusted to you. Share it. Listen, if you're not sharing it, you're being disobedient. Do you hear that? Let me say it again. If you're not sharing the gospel, you're living in disobedience. Because God is making his appeal to the world through you. Have you ever heard somebody say, Something like this. Share the gospel and when necessary, use words. That's dumb. You know why it's dumb? You can't share the gospel without using words. Some people think, well, I'm just going to show them that I love Jesus by how I live. Well, how they'll just think that you're a good person. Because there's lots of good people out there. They're doing awfully good and nice things you have to use words to share the gospel. If you have friends that you know that are going to hell because of the way that they're living their life, share the gospel. You are the point that God wants to connect with them. It's your responsibility. It's your privilege. It's your sacred duty. You are a soldier of the cross, not a soldier of yourself. Let me give you a couple take-homes. Gospel needs to be declared. What is the gospel? The person and the work of Jesus Christ. The gospel needs to be declared. If the gospel is truly as precious as it should be to you, we'll talk about it. We, you almost can't help but talk about it. We'll declare it. Listen, you know, some people will say, you know, I just don't feel qualified to talk about the gospel. Let me share. The qualification for doing evangelism, for sharing the gospel, is flat out your own salvation. God says, here, let me give this free gift of salvation. I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you from hell and damnation. And You probably don't know all the dynamics that that includes until you'll look back when I bring you up into heaven and you get to be in my presence forever. But I'm going to give this gift to you. Here's, here's what I want you to do with it. Tell others about it. That's the qualification for sharing the gospel, you receiving it first, you being a recipient of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't give away something that you personally don't have yourself. And here's, by the way, another indicator that you're truly saved. You'll want people to be saved if you don't want people to be saved, if you don't want people to be rescued from hell and damnation, you need to ask a very serious question. Am I really genuinely saved? Because the love of Christ will compel you to want others to be saved. Last thing, don't try to convert people. Well, I used to try to do this early in my ministry, and part of it was how I was brought up and what I was taught. And, and it wasn't until I had some really good, godly people really challenging me to get into the Scriptures that I began to discover it's not about me. It's not about how brilliant or smart I am. We don't possess any of those supernatural powers to change people, to awaken the soul from death into life. But God specializes in resurrecting people from the dead. And that's exactly what happens when we experience the gospel of Jesus. Now listen, those are things of how to share the gospel. We're going to share something here in just a few minutes. In fact, let me invite Snuff. Where are you at, Snuff? Would Would you come up?